This episode of Social Design Insights is the second part of a two-part episode recorded live at The Hague in the Netherlands at the Border Sessions Conference on June 14, 2018, with host Emiliano Gandolfi and guests Jean van Heeswijk and Lorenzo Romito. I think, I mean, this brings also back the attention to, to the, the project of Jean, because in a way, this myth of uh, the, you know, creating society through uh, a diversity, it's also something that is really lacking in a situation like the one of Philly, and it's the one, it's, I think, a specific need that, that you were trying to address. So, in a way, you, after this deep listening of the different voices of Philadelphia, how could you try to, you know, bring these voices back to uh, the public attention and, and give you know, power back to these voices. I think one of the things that we, we did is we embarked on, on quite a, a long process together is that around these five concepts, we organized sort of a year of like working group meetings in which like over 150 plus organizations in the city worked together in groups of like 20, 25 to basically uh, sort of like unpack like what sovereignty means or what sovereignty would mean right now in Philadelphia or what sanctuary would mean in Philadelphia right now. And Philadelphia is a so-called sanctuary city where in principle this means that uh, um, the government would not assist ICE uh, in getting like information about immigrants, undocumented or illegal immigrants, as long as it's not like part of a criminal uh, a criminal investigation. But with Working on this project, for instance, like Trump happened, as we, that's how we say it there, Trump happened. And overnight, most of these concepts were only not just like concepts around which we organized, but it came overnight, became part of a political fight as well, uh, like with the ban on, um, on Muslims and stuff like that. So this whole notion of sanctuary suddenly became like red and burning again. But in our groups, which were very diverse, we were not only talking about what it means to be a sanctuary city uh, in the light around immigration, but what does it mean to really provide, to be a city that provides safe space for its citizens? What does that mean? What does that mean for people with an LGBTQIA uh, background? What does it mean for recently arrived uh, refugees? What does it mean for black bodies facing police brutalities? And more strongly, in those working groups, when they were working together to try to figure that out, what was very commonly the case is that people got also stuck in underlying differences. Uh, like, uh, not everybody was accepting uh, the same kind of premises of like what it means to be together in the city. So like one of those things that we try to do is what we, uh, what happens a lot like in social justice organizing is to try to create community agreements. It took us a year and a half to create our community agreements. Because first we had like 34 pages, uh, and nobody agreed on any of those 34 pages. And we had to narrow it down. We had to narrow it down to say like, what is the basis premises for us to be together in this space and to discuss these urgent issues and to come up with uh, possible imaginations about how we would like to, to change things together. And I think this was an amazing journey through also understanding different practices I think in the Sanctuary Working Group, they very quickly decided we don't know enough about each other's work, actually. Although we're working in the same city, around the same uh, issue, 
actually what do we really know about what kind of work somebody else is doing. So they started on what they call a sanctuary curriculum. They started to visit each other's places and learning each other's skill sets, training alongside each other about prevention points, which is a safe needle exchange or a project safe a collective of sex workers, how they provide safe space, but also the new sanctuary movement who deals with providing literally sanctuary for recent arrived refugees, how they do it, to a homeless shelter. So how do we do it? How do we deal? What, what kind of skill set, what kind of programs did we develop and how can we train alongside each other? And this was an immense journey in learning different skill set, but also understanding that maybe hosting uh, new arrived refugees not always goes hand in hand with like the needs of like queer homeless youth, you know, and how to how to then come to a process in which you collectively imagine. And I think what we found uh, very uh, um, helpful was not only visiting each other and learning from each other, but also like starting to map those things, almost do a classical exercise of mapping the work, describing the work, uh, but also uh, trying to create learnings and training schemes uh, from it. But we also worked at something which we called timelines, because when you were talking about methodologies, Lorenzo, I was thinking about timeline exercises. Denise Valentine, who was uh, one of the uh, editors of the Reconstruction Working Group, who predominantly thought not only about reconstruction, it was reconstructions with an S at the end, not only about the way the city was like reconstructing itself and gentrifying at a rapid speed, but it was also looking at the reconstruction era, which is the era uh, Jim Crow post uh, Jim Crow and civil rights era about how narratives of the city have been constructed and who has a place in those narratives, who has a place on the maps, uh, on the map of the city, but also on the future map of the city. So we started to do uh, timelines exercises that she developed. It's like, how do you put yourself and your story on a timeline, on a local timeline, on a national timeline, and on an international timeline? And what kind of acts of resistance were you part of, were part of your family, uh, that places you in this like sort of like timeline. So we started to create personal timelines, personal timelines of cities in the cities that had a place on the map, that had a place in time, that told different stories of like uh, not only the past of the city, but we had to travel through that ancestral past in order to arrive at the future. And one of the groups we worked with, the quantum futurists, black quantum futurists, they talk about like cyclar time. That time is not something that's linear, which is so much our idea of progress is linear, but our time needs to be cyclar so that we have to travel back through our own timelines in order to understand where we might want to go to the future. So our timeline exercises became something that we did in all the groups. So our trainings were not just like workshops in that sense, but they were literally training. Training what it means to give somebody help when he ODs, uh, creating timelines, uh, helping with food services, um, all this kind of like different, like working the land, planting seeds with urban, um, urban creators, which is a, a people of color led farm providing food in a neighborhood. Just really going, traveling through time together uh, and through learnings together. And I think that was very, very important. So this timeline exercise to understand how time is also uh, occupied uh, and, and by, by the whole neoliberal idea of progress mm -hmm. and to take that apart. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think that what is specifically even magic in all this aspect of using art and design to bring back voices to people is, of course, this ability to to create also this this communication and and to bring together again a discussion on diversity and richness in society. But once this process is done in such a skillful way with a group of participants to the project, how do you share this process to a larger part of society that is not included in this specific <laughs> discovery of all these differences and, and all of this inner process? Because in a way, for each person involved in your project, I think they had an inner discovery and an inner uh, deep uh, search. With us, we, after our very intense process of a year and a half of like meeting and discussing and training and working together, we collectively decided to amplify uh, like 10 places in the city in which people felt very important work was done uh, and to use that as a stage for more public engagement. So we had community meals, we had a like big sovereignty festival, we created a sanctuary dome in the city in which people publicly enacted those trainings and where general members of the audience joined in. So these were test sites where some of the findings and some of the things were tested and collectively shared. Uh, so we had a lot of sessions at the Urban Creators Farm, uh, but we invited larger members of the audience. But we also worked over something uh, that in my case would even be sometimes unusual, is to bring things back to the Philadelphia Museum of Art and basically hack the museum by taking over one of its buildings, the whole ground floor, to actually create a new, what we call civic stage, uh, in which like all these different ways in which the people imagined the future of Philadelphia could be shown uh, and could be told. And this was quite of an amazing exercise to not only go and do all these public uh, in interventions, but then collectively decide what is it that we want to bring back? Which stories do we want to tell? Which objects do we want to show? Which pain points uh, do, we, uh, do we want to, to tell? And like then we totally started to work with all the different groups and not only what, what and how do we want to tell it, but also how do we bring it back? Because like also like in our institutions are quite often like places where sometimes it's sad, like it's a neutral place, an art place. And the groups we've been working with, we say, no, we want to be in charge of everything. How things are basically shipped to the museum if they are wrapped in bubble plastic and, and, and brought in a truck or sometimes literally been carried over because people felt they're too precious. If they needed to be blessed or if they needed to have a um, sign like a loan form, if they needed to have a contextual information or not. We collectively wrote our wall labels. Our wall labels told we think this, this and this to also cut across this idea that there is like a sort of like neutral established like truth or quality. So all of that like started to happen and collectively we also decided that instead of having docent tours which are normally people that just walk around that we would collectively host the exhibition so that on any given day you could walk the exhibition with one of our participants to basically who could share the reason why somebody participated but also share more extensive knowledge about their timeline, uh, about their journeys. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I think that's, uh, again, bringing back the point that we started with, that is a bit uh, the civic imagination. So it's about uh, opening up this process uh, to a larger amount of people. And I think it brings also back to the idea of the myth, because the myth, in a way, was a carrier of a collective aspiration, right? So, I mean, in, in Rome, how are you using this ancient myth to go back into a more democratic way of building cities and building society? Well, going back to the, the question of also the narrative, we had a problem political at a certain point after the crisis of 2008 when we walked Rome three years and we gathered all the practice of self-organization into a map of common reference and interaction showing each other who was doing what and where. I think we have, gathering people, it's very complicated. Mythology can help us because it's this popular aspect. It can be recognized, and people can be recognized themselves in a process that also refers to identity in a very diverse way. This is because it's, it's one of the problems nowadays. And I think at the time, the problem a few years ago in Italy was we were not capable to federate the diversity and the fragility of practices that were very different one from the other. I think now this is getting more and more possible. To get it done, uh, we have to lose this idea of conflict and hegemony and that to lead everybody into a single conflict, into to the power. But I think we really have to create that space of possibility which is the, the diversity and the distances and the incomprehension between all this reality. This is a very fertile space. I think art has to fertilize this kind of interstitial space of possibilities. And mythology, we use it. We, we, we brought a big piece of stone, we inscribed the Caracalla Constitution that everybody forgot in Latin, in a big marble. We asked all the people to translate it. We translated in 72 different languages and then put in little tablet of clay all this translation. So this is about the identity of Rome. It's your identity and you can express it in your language. And then all together with kind of a bamboo boat, we brought this stone to the core of the celebration of the birthday of Rome, uh, that usually it's very uh, emphatic and rhetoric, uh, Roman-styled guys that goes around and make their scene. Uh, we broke the stone because this is still utopia. Planetary citizenship doesn't exist. And now we're leading the pieces at the four corners of Europe to recreate paths of pilgrimage to the remaking of Europe. And this, to us, it's Calais, One piece already started, it's on its way on Calais. We are now going to Palermo, and one piece will reach Lampedusa, another will reach Lesbo, and another Ceuta. And I think this just to address the importance of these narrative paths to be created, to refound Europe. Because here I feel you live in another world. You live pressed under French, German, and English like always, but you're also preserved by their national issue. I think you maybe believe that your social system can survive this late liberalist wave and, uh, and people can be happy in it and can be really free. I, I, I can see people behaving around here, but I think to preserve that, there is a, a, a harsh criminal set of walls that they're just moving away from your consciousness, but just producing, producing what people dying everywhere, searching for Europe, and having people living in Europe having no idea of what Europe could be tomorrow. 
Uh, I just wanted to conclude. Uh, I think that it's uh, it's interesting to see how uh, breaking these walls that are uh, how you know the way in which neoliberal societies thought in in compartments. It's also a very strong metaphorical way of seeing how transpassing and how you know uh, design and art can install a civic imagination of possible alternatives and it doesn't seem much but already the capability of listening to the other can really uh, start this possibility of, of a dialogue that is an internal dialogue an external dialogue in in forging a, a different society an alternative society I just remember that that one of the the Futures Working Group wanted to open their part with a quote uh, from somebody that was very dear to them. And the quote says, like, the decolonization of the imagination is one of the most subversive and dangerous forms there is because it's where all decolonization lies. When the imagination is unshackled, liberation is limitless. And I think that sort of, like, is, like, for me and for, for them was very important to say, like, that we have to work at imagination. Imagination as like sort of a collective exercise of how we want to care for each other and for the world. And that is not uh, just an art thing. I think it's, it's a survival thing for me. Exactly. Well, thank you very much, Jeanne. Thank you, Lorenzo. Uh, I just wanted to give the, the floor for a few questions. I saw that there was a very urgent one that was coming from the floor. Um, what kept uh, going through my mind listening to you is... Um, is this really inclusive in the sense, is what's happening in Rome and in Philadelphia gender balanced? Or will this be again a story that doesn't include me? I mean, the group in, in Philadelphia um, was a very like diverse group. So there were 160 people of all ages, uh, backgrounds, um, let's say um, also abilities and disabilities. So. Um, it was a very mixed group, male, female. So I think it's something to keep working on, that groups are diverse, that groups are as inclusive as possible. And I think for that we have to work very hard. Uh, it's not easy. I think one of the things that, for instance, for Philadelphia was very important is that in our working group sessions, we very clearly made sure that we organized things as, such as childcare, as the fact that people could get their travel reimbursed, that people who needed could take a stipend, so that not only people who can afford to be there can be there. And for instance, also another thing is that we would always start every meeting with a meal, not assuming that people had enough to eat that day. Uh, but this takes work, this takes actively work to make sure that as many uh, people can be around the table and even looking at what the form of the table is, like what is the, the shape of the discussion or the, the thing, uh, so and how do we unpack all of these layers of like um, things we're used to, privileges, and I think that's something we have to keep working at, so yeah. I would say also that if me includes the fact that I'm not available for any change of myself, will not, uh, I don't think we can communicate beyond this barrier which is made out of the, the lack of availability in going towards something else. I think this is the crucial point. We try to create as a collective practice of creation and invention also, not just narrative, but also words and way of looking things, not decolonizing uh, our old system, but of course, we can only refer to people that somehow are ready, cooked enough to look for a change. Um, I'd actually like to build on uh, what you just said. Um, 
how do you make sure that the efforts uh, both of you are doing don't sort of end up just in silos? And how do they um, reach out or engage other narratives, such as, for example, in Italy, super far-right narratives about refugees? Or So how, how do the, the spaces you're creating engage others, other spaces? Yes, but we do engage them physically. We, we, we are in the street, we create spaces that could be intriguing and open up to their personal engagement with their own language to participate in the making of diverse identity of the city. So this is what the tool, I would say, the, the, the tactics of engagement. And of course we are challenging a narrative of identity which is in the end of the far right. So this is why we are doing it. I mean, But of course we are not sure about anything. We are taking the risk of creating uh, a, a space of possibility. A contemporaneity, it's, there is no chance, there is no future for contemporaneity because it does not admit any space of possibility, does not admit any risk, would never make a plan that is not, it doesn't uh, already give you uh, the point of arrive. No? So I think we are stuck in a society that it's it totally uh, excluding itself from uh, uh, facing what happens and the future. So in this sense, uh, I think we, we, we are trying to create, a, and, and it, it is fertile. People gather, and they are diverse. They're uh, not only for, they're also for age. I mean, it's so hard nowadays to get out of the boundaries of, you no, know, we, we are kids, we are migrants, we are middle class, and everything, it's, it's so polarized. I think, in this sense, we're successful. Of course, we, we cannot communicate away from the practice because we don't trust the possibility of a communication to address, one more communication to address to anybody. So we just, we just operate very close to people, one-to-one, -one. And, and we still think it's the only possible way. Is there another question? Hi, um, thank you first of all for, your, for both expositions. What I missed a bit was the connection to the political space, um, even though you're demonizing how it currently is, well, in the case of Italy, but also along Europe, you have with populism so many diverse movements that are, I mean, against this public order of society as we imagined it. But how do you feel your efforts are being translated into the public space where they can actually have impact on a broader level? And I don't think that can be done without basically the tool of political decision-making. <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't think this pollution, I mean, especially in Italy, this, the, the, the situation uh, of politics can create the tools for change. I think the change is now ongoing, and we have to understand the change. I think mythology can help us understand the change. I think action and practice can produce spaces of possibility for people that they are aware of that. And I think this is the ongoing process. Uh, I think this is politics. It's this possible space, it's the only political space. Because whatever sits into this political sphere and, and gets informed by huge amount of abstract data or abstract normatives or previous uh, preconceived or pre prejudiced uh, of technicians that they have no experience of the shift that's going on, they have no tools to face it. I think the planning tools are out of, uh, uh, they're, they're useless. 
They are completely useless nowadays. So I think we are, we are, we are, we are looking forward. It's avant-garde maybe, but we are searching the making of a new community. We cannot simply integrate migrants. I think this is the very occasion where we have half of our territory abandoned and put in ruin by the economical system nowadays, and we have a huge amount of population. These are the two conditions for the regeneration of Europe for the regeneration of our cities. So it's a process that it's out of our control. That's why politics nowadays cannot refer. But artists can be like Homer's, uh, the narratives that can regather people for a possible future. I think that, you know, also to answer your question, um, I think we are starting from the acceptance and the understanding that there is a political crisis that led to the current situation. And also the neoliberal economy is the only alternative now. So we're looking at back at uh, civil society to reimagine a possible alternative to start with. But I also think that answering your question, uh, like Echanne uh, has been involved for quite some time in a project in Rotterdam South, working with the market, and her efforts actually led to also political change. So there is the possibility to inspire a political improvement. Is that right? Yeah, and I think also, maybe call me an, an old-fashioned believer, is that I do think that if we want to truly create an alternative uh, within the, the neoliberal frame which we are in, which we cannot escape, that we have to start working from within and that we have to start creating, let's say, small... Uh, ways and small exercises, small trainings, creating small alternatives, test them, work with them. And I think if the moment comes, we can connect them across different uh, spaces and then push them up. I still do believe there is a, a big difference between the political and politics. And I just don't think like the politics of the day are what is the problem. The problem is a deep crisis uh, um, that is happening now. And I think we can only start digging at the root. The rest is, 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 is just, you know, I think so, like working at the roots of it and, and reclaiming the roots, rerouting, literally rerouting our forms of, of creating alternatives. And I think that's very important. Yes, so going back to, to Latin, in fact, uh, the word radical from, comes from radix, that is basic, uh, the root. So being radical, and uh, sometimes also Jean referred to radicalizing the local, goes back to those roots. And I think that it's about a focus on our individual roots, I mean, the roots of each one of us, but also trying to dig down also to the roots of our society to be inspired on how things can actually change. And I think that that's, uh, you know, the main lessons that I'm, I'm taking from the work of, of Jeanne, of Lorenzo, and of many of the practitioners that we are uh, representing with uh, the Curiestone Design Prize. So I hope you all will have, uh, well, first enjoy the talk, and we'll have time to uh, listen to some other of the podcasts. Uh, the, mm, the website is currystone.org. And um, nothing. I hope I'll see you back uh, at the next edition of the Border Crossing Festival. Thank you very much for your attention. You've been listening to the second part of a two-part episode of Social Design Insights, hosted by Emiliano Gandolfi, with guests Jean van Heswick and Lorenzo Romito. To learn more about the work of Jean van Heswick or Lorenzo Romito, please visit our website, socialdesigninsights.com, where you will find further links and articles to assist with your research. 
Social Design Insights is produced by Baruch Zeichner and is an initiative of the Curry Stone Foundation. If you haven't already, please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CurryStoneFDN for all the latest news on social impact design. Thank <laughs> you.